Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. Tonight we have a very special man with us. His name is J.M. DeBorg. He's an author, dream expert, and instructor. He's appeared on dozens of media programs, including Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, teaching his Anyone Can Do It system of dream work. Nori praises him as one heck of a dream interpreter, and this is added to a long list of accolades for his skill and his knowledge. His Dreams 123 system boils down complex theories from dream psychology and combines them with modern interpretation techniques in a way that is easy to understand. His book, one, two, three, Dreams 123, Remember, Interpret, and Live Your Dreams is a thorough introduction to dream work that requires no prior knowledge of dream interpretation. It's been widely praised by reviewers, along with his newest book, The Dream Interpretation Dictionary, Symbols, Signs, and Meanings. Two books that if you're interested in, in becoming semi-expert and, and learning how to understand yourself to a higher degree and, and a lot of the symbols that your higher consciousness sends to you throughout the day. Both these books are, are must-haves. They can, they can be found on Amazon.com, or you can go to my website, BarbaraDeLong.com, click on the I Recommend button, click on Books. Both his books are there, along with the links to Amazon, so you can get them that way easily, too. I, I've read... Dreams 123, and I have to tell you that um, I haven't had a good night's sleep ever since, but it's only because every time I have a dream, I wake up and say to myself, now what does that mean? So I I would imagine after you get used to this process, (laughs) your dream state is much more comfortable and you probably get good night's sleeps. So without further ado, hi, Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, Barbara. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the great introduction. Um, you know, yeah, it does get easier with time as you <laughs> absorb the system for understanding things. You can get a little better night's sleep because you'll know that you can do it in the morning 
And uh, you just make a note of it. If you do wake up from a dream, it's good to just go over it for a minute or two in your mind. And that way it gets encoded into a longer term storage um, and memory that's easier to draw up in the morning. So great advice there. Well, it, it, you know, it's really it's I've been telling people for years to keep dream journals because I they're fabulous. They're wonderful. They tell you a lot about yourself and with your books, they, they tell, you know, I, I, keeping a dream journal tells you one level of understanding, but when you, when you can understand the symbology, when you can understand the metaphors, when you can understand, you know, where it's, it's, it's for me, the dream state is, is one of the best, easiest ways for your higher consciousness, the spirit within you to send messages to the conscious mind. I am fascinated with your books. I think that, that they they are amazing, and even though I tell people constantly to keep dream, dream journals, I've never gone into how do they interpret their dreams, and that's exactly what your book does, which is just fabulous. Well, um, that is a high praise. I thank you. It you know you put so much work into something like that, but you you're never sure how it's going to be received if you're actually going to teach the subject that you're trying to teach until you get feedback from people who really know their stuff like you do you've known dreams you've been paying attention to your dreams for decades now and you know when you read my book and it helps you better understand your dreams then I think that says a lot oh it well you know the, I think the the wonderful thing about it is and, and I mentioned it before we went through all that fold roll um, the the dream state is when we're in dream state we're in alpha theta and that's the that's the level of, that's the frequency of um, energy that our brain allows us to have a a better communication with the higher consciousness of spirit that is carried within, and the dream state is is how our our spirit talks to us. But for some reason, it it has a sixth sense of humor, and it doesn't say do this or do that. It gives us images. It gives us suggestions. It gives us scenarios. And we're supposed to be able to understand them and then apply them to our, our, our waking reality. Yes. And I think of that process as the dream wants to be interesting enough to engage you while you are asleep and to be memorable when you wake up. So it tells these stories in such a way that gets your attention, that is able to communicate these messages from the other side, whether you call it the unconscious mind, the creative source, you know, the universe, Mother Nature, mm-hmm. whatever, wherever, wherever it's really coming from, I know that these, these are good messages and that while you are dreaming, you are tuned in in a way that is difficult to reproduce when you're awake because you have too much sensory input usually to be able to hear that voice unless, of course, you are meditating or chanting or just exist in a state of a very calm mind that is not very distracted. Well, and my spirit does something very weird. Um, and, and I did want to ask you if this is common. When I get something that is profound, as far as an image or a symbol or a, or a scenario or whatever, um, immediately thereafter, I, I see a waterfall, which wakes me up because I have to go to the bathroom. Mm, interesting. You know, the symbolism of a waterfall, of course, could be your body signaling to you that you have to use the bathroom. But I also find that it could apply on a deeper level of a... Um, 
you know, it kind of depends on the waterfall and how you feel <laughs> while you're in it. You know, that's the tricky thing about symbolism is, is that it has to be put into context. And when you write a dream dictionary, you can only imagine the context that someone might dream about something such as a waterfall. You know, you get a picture of, you know, uh, uh, a Hawaiian lagoon and there's the beautiful waterfall and everything's so gentle. But if it's you're at the bottom of Niagara Falls, well, now that's a different, yeah. you know, context to understand that within. Um, I've heard of other people getting ex- having experiences such as strong ringing in their ears. I know that's the case for me, um, particularly when you have a um, a precognitive dream. Some people call them prophetic dreams. And that that is a sign when you wake up and your ears are ringing with that high pitched sound. As long as it's not tinnitus, you can be reasonably sure that it's actually a message that says, pay attention. You just had a dream that you need to spend some time with. The ones that wake me up in the middle of the night, Barbara, I've learned now to pay attention to at least take a second before I fall back into my slumber again, because sometimes I'm being woken up. And if I don't have to use the bathroom, then that's not the reason for it. Then I know that I'm being woken up because I just had a dream that I should pay some attention to to remember and perhaps wake up and write it down or just do that processing that going over and review of the dream so that you can encode it in a longer term memory. So it's funny how that side of you actually knows your habits and it has an agenda where it is actually thinking things through and it says, Hmm, how can I get Jason's attention? How can I let him know that he just had an interesting dream that he needs to, you know, that he, he needs to remember? Oh, okay. We'll wake him up for no good reason in the middle of the night, you know, because <laughs> you're now at the end of that REM cycle. And right after REM cycle, you go back into light sleep. And that is the time when it is easiest for you to wake up. So mm-hmm. if you can wake up right after a series of dreams that you had during your REM stage, well, now you're probably going to have you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes or half an hour or even more of good dream content that you'll be able to recall more easily. Yeah, it's really, and I think the thing that, that people have to realize is, is you know, when you remember a dream, you're kind of picking up a little bit here and a little bit there, and it's really important for them to pay attention to the details because that's where the messages are. Yeah, that's okay. right. If you just pull out a symbol or two, then you can't put it within the context of a story and you really need to put the symbol into context to understand it. And, you know, it, I, I, I keep telling people that, that there's really no need for psychics or, or counselors or anything like that because we carry within us a master guide and teacher. And if we trust ourselves enough, the guidance is there and we, you know, while we will still make mistakes, there will be reasons for the mistakes that will help to enhance our trip through this reality. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm shifting from dream expert and interpreter to dream teacher and creating dreamschool.net is because I want to teach other people how to interpret their own dreams. That has really been my goal all along as a, as an author and a moderator of a large online forum is I want to teach people how to do it for themselves, that they do not necessarily need a dream um, interpreter. They don't need a psychiatrist or a guru. You know, I call my dreams one, two, three system the anyone can do it system because I'm going to teach you that the dream is a story told through symbolism. And if you can understand the symbolism in the story, you can translate the dream. And like you, what I'm trying to do is put the power back into the hands of people everywhere 
who have this idea, such as with intuitive guidance or, you know, channeling or something like that, that this is something that only the experts can do. Like, no, anyone can do it. You just have to go through the same process of learning and application that someone like you did in order to be able to get to the point where you're at now. Well, and it's, it's, it's like developing a muscle. It's like exercising. You know, the more you work at something, the better you get. The more often you do it, the, the more comfortable you are with trusting the results. The, it, it, it's sort of like, and, and you know, they, everybody says the answers lie within. They do. They absolutely do. And, and you're given all the tools you need to, to guide yourself through a lifetime that is meant to have, you know, ups and downs because that's the purpose of the lifetime is for you to learn and to understand and to develop and evolve. And, and when you look at um, the fact that you have every night, you have messages from, from the spirit that, that is inside of you every night. And it, it's kind of like, take the time to write stuff down. And, and you, I guess you, you maybe once you have it written down, you, you, you don't have to spend hours at it, you know, write it down. And when you have time, go back over it, add details as you remember them, because what you write down can be triggers to bring the whole thing back to memory. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you're drawing up another point here, which I tell people about dreams is that the interpretation of them, correct interpretation is really not the point. It's a nice, added bonus to it when you can really understand what a dream is saying and see how it connects with your life. But what you're really doing over the long term by journaling your dreams and spending time with them is you are developing a relationship with the other side of yourself, the unconscious mind. You know, most people are not aware of the fact that depending on the expert you ask, they will tell you that between 95 and 99% of the total mind is unconscious. That means there's this little tiny corner over here that is your conscious mind, the ego, the I, and then there's this vast rest of the mind. And when you dream, that part of the mind is communicating with you. And whether you understand it or not, that communication is still going on. We also know from the study of dreams and neuroscience that there are very deep processes that happen in the body, in the mind, and the emotions, and the spirit. The body, for instance, goes through a process of cleaning out the cells in a way that it can't do while it's awake. It has to be asleep. And not just asleep, but dreaming appears to be integral with that cycle of sleep from light to deep to, you know, uh, REM dream stages and then back to the light sleep and back to the deep. You go through this sort of like, you know, rocking back and forth through the sleep cycle. And during different points of the cycle, there are various processes that run. I found this out the other day, Barbara. The brain does not have a lymphatic system. It does not have a way of cleaning the toxins out of it. The way that it works is that while you are dreaming, the cerebrospinal fluid that surrounds the brain follows the blood vessels down into it, penetrates into the heart of that gray matter, and sucks the debris out of it. So you go through a nightly process of cleaning out your brain and it only happens while you're dreaming, for mm. some reason, only while you're dreaming. So it tells you there, there are deep processes that are going on. Your mind is processing memories. It is releasing the short-term memory banks to allow them to take content again for the next day. It allows you to process things that you've learned more deeply. 
it cross-references it. You can see the neurons forming in the brain as you're dreaming, as these new neural connections are made, or in some cases they are pruned or let go. So there's this evolution that happens, and basically it is your adaptation to the daily experience of your life and what you learn from it and how you grow from it. So, yes, dreaming is this amazing process, even if you just look at it from the viewpoint of what's going on in the brain and then the body. But then when you consider that you are clearing out your emotional banks, too, when you have a good night's sleep, you can wake up in the morning and take on the next day more readily than if you go to bed and you're stuffed full of emotions and you don't sleep well, you don't dream well, and you start the next day right where you left off the night before. (laughs) I think (laughs) so. One of the other things that's really, really important that I have found, and um, I don't know if you can apply it or not, so I'm going to put it out there because in, in working with people, I have found no matter what we're, we're, we're doing, if they get ideas, if they get insight, if they get inspiration or whatever, if they don't write it down and commit it to the physical reality, it just drifts around and it doesn't go anywhere. And I have found with dreams as well, if you write them down, if you commit them to reality, in a way you're making a contract to understand what the dream is saying to you. And perhaps making it more real or allowing your response to become more concrete to the dream. I think that we are going into a realm with some dreams, at least, where we are making decisions about how our future takes shape. You know, we talk about things such as manifestation and intention and things like that. We also talk about how the future is seen as probability, a wave of probability at the quantum level. So I think that what we are doing in part by dreaming is is that we are making decisions at that deepest level about the reality that we will then live within in the near future. And that by writing it down, It's helping to, I find, that writing it down as opposed to using a voice recorder or typing, it helps me to get into a flow that allows those things from the dream to become more concrete in my waking world, and I can make a deeper connection with more parts of my being with the dream. Oh, oh yeah, and so, you know, I I always tell people to have a journal, whether it's a gratitude journal, a dream journal, or whatever. It's it's just it's it's a place to engrave thoughts into so that they take so that they take a greater cool reality, your waking reality. And um, I it works for me. And and it doesn't and it's strange. It doesn't work if I have typed it into the computer. But if I have physically taken pen to paper and written stuff down, that's the stuff that that creates a foundation for me to bring the spiritual, the, the creative, the insightful, the mystical elements of myself too. It's, it's like that's the anchor that I got the message about. So if I open that doorway, everything flows through it. And I think for everyone that it can be a little different. I know other people who do just fine just, you know, typing it or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that for certain people that it is something that is ingrained into them, that process of writing things down, seeing it words on paper, and then being able to reflect on it that way. Um, For me, because I do so much work in front of a computer with a keyboard, that's the last thing I want to do when I first wake up, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I do know, I do. But I think you just brought up a really important point, too. Um, It's, 
the symbols and the interpretations and everything generally, you know, there are archetypes and things like that, but everybody is different. And that means everybody is going to get different kinds of messages, different kinds of symbols, different kinds of insights. So that, so that this is a very individualistic type of, of experience so that this is your stuff. And You've given, you've given, you know, suggestions for things. You've certainly given a lot of examples of, of dreams that, that you and other people have had and how they were interpreted. And you can see the, the, um, the metaphors and the symbols and everything. But it, it's, it's going to take a while for people to understand their symbols and what things mean to them. And, and once, once they kind of get their, their stuff together then applying your philosophies to it helps them to get a better understanding of what it is they're trying to say to themselves. And I want to say this, especially to the people out there who do not keep a dream journal, but this discussion that we're having interests you, then I suggest that not only do you um, start doing that and that you use my book, Dreams 123, as a way of um, helping to guide you through that process, but that you go ahead and keep your own dictionary of personal dream symbols and that you pay attention to your recurring dreams. The recurring dream themes, I find, are the easiest ones to remember, and there's a set of tools that you can bring to interpreting recurring dreams that will open up other doors in your dream life. And Barbara, you know how opening doors in your dream life opens up doors in your waking life. Oh, absolutely. do your, your recurring dreams especially. That's a place for you to start. Most people, when I say, what are your recurring dream themes, can pull up two or three, at least right off the top of their head. They dream about driving, being in their home, you know, being at work, their teeth falling out, you know, flying, falling, running, uh, sailing on a ship, uh, flying in an airplane, something like that. And you can start there and you can go, oh, okay, well, what about flying in an airplane? What can that mean? And if you turn to something like my dream interpretation dictionary, I show you these various ways that I've encountered that it can be used as symbolism. And once you start off with that base of knowledge, then the next time you wake up with a dream that featured an airplane, you can start right there and you can go, okay, well, does it mean this or this or this or that? It might not mean anything that I have suggested. Dream symbols are so personal and can be so personal that trying to come up with any universal or generalized way of approaching them is almost foolhardy. However, there are patterns when you look at hundreds of dreams that feature a symbol, you might be able to find five or six things that comes up over and over and over again. You take a plane, for example, because there is a destination that you want to reach in your life, and it is a more distant or important destination. Why? Because planes cover long distances, and for some people, the only time they get on the plane is when it's a more important trip. Or you might take a plane trip because you were in more of a hurry, and the dream starts with that basic idea, and it builds a story around it. It says, this is what you are in a hurry about. This is why you are in a hurry. So these are ideas that you can bring to the table right away. And if you pay attention to your dreams, particularly your recurring dreams, then if you can get at least one, two, three symbols and wrap your mind around what they mean in your dreams, then when they pop up in other dreams, you'll be able to have an easy base of reference and you'll start to be able to whip through this process and not have to spend all day at it. 
<laughs> unless, <laughs> well, unless you really want to. Well, so what is the purpose of a recurring dream? Is there something specific? Does it have to be earth-shattering, or can it be simple? Oh, it can be simple. In fact, I think there are different types of recurring dreams. And right now on my website at dreams123.net, the top story is about recurring dreams. And in it, I detail three basic types of recurring dreams. You have the day residue dreams that you will see imagery that is related to things that you see during the day. And if your days are, if they follow patterns such as going to work and coming home and things like that, or a type of work you do, like let's say you're a truck driver and you dream all the time about driving on the highway. Well, that shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, that's, that's kind of a recurring dream image or even sort of a theme, but there's generally not a deep narrative to it. If there is a narrative, then what the dream is doing is picking up the day residue and it's turning it into a story. These are the things that I notice about dreams to help me initially be able to tell what the dream is really trying to get at. Then you have another type of recurring dream, which I call the serial dream. Some people call them episodic dreams, where you have the same themes, sometimes places, people, imagery. Um, I was just helping a guy with a dream the other day who dreams about the same town night after night. And he knows in this town, it's like mapped out in his mind. And he knows where the stores are and the people live. He knows where the secret paths are. You know, he, he all these things because he goes there night after night. And there is a sort of a story that continues from dream to dream. It's like um, episodes, you know, of a television drama or sequels to a movie or something. And then, Barbara, you have what I consider to be the most interesting recurring dreams. I call them the Groundhog Day dreams because you get to a point in the story in the dream, and if you haven't learned yet what you need to know, then you loop back to the beginning and you start over. And those dreams are really interesting because you can see behind the curtain and assume that there is some part of you that is saying, I need you to get the message here, and I will keep sending this dream at you exactly the same story until you figure out how you are supposed to react in order for that story to progress. Okay, I got, I've got a recurring dream for you. Okay. I'm at my funeral. I'm standing in the back of the room, taking a look at everybody around, and as people are going past the open coffin, which I would never have, but, yeah. but it, they, they're walking past the open coffin, and all of my friends are saying, oh, my God, look at her hair. Why didn't she ever wear it that way? It looks beautiful <laughs> on her. I can't get to the coffin. And, and I, I try everything. I try jumping on people's backs. I try, I try everything. And this dream happened for at least six months. Mm. And, and it was almost, it, it, was, it, it was frequent enough so that it was like, oh, damn, am I here again? And. Um, I finally, you know, it, it, it really became annoying, and I finally figured, all right, I'm just going to go and get my hair all cut off. I mean, I, I'm not, not bald, but it was very long, and I got it cut very short. I never had the dream again. Oh, wow. Interesting. See, here I am looking at it from the perspective of an, a dream interpreter, and where I begin is, especially when I only have a moment to think through a dream like this, the mm-hmm. quick and dirty way of interpreting a dream is to simplify it down to its most essential idea. And what you see in your dream is there's something about yourself that you really want to know, but you might not find out about it until after you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
But death being symbolism, though, like some kind of big change in yourself, that's usually when you when death is a theme in a dream, that's a good place to start is, is that it's just simply saying that there's a big change. It can mean the end of one thing and the beginning of another. And then I'm considering things about hair. Well, hair is close to how you present yourself and what people see about you, what they can notice about you. And that can get caught, tie into ideas such as you know, self-image and persona and public image and things like that. But then you have, you know, the they can see something about your hair that you don't know. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, hair grows from the head and the head is where thoughts come from. So you can look at hair as being like lines of thought. Sometimes that's what they symbolize. And something like combing hair can mean organizing your thoughts or frizzy hair can mean disordered thoughts, you know. But then there's another side of it, which is just pure story. And that appears to be the better way of approaching your dream because of the way that you responded to it by cutting your hair. I mean, that's, that, that, that's still kind of mysterious to me. But what I would do is I would look at that in story form and say, is this like a little parable? Is there something that I'm learning? Like, were you hiding behind your hair? And now that you've cut it, you feel like there's more of you that can show to the world. And that was actually the point all along. Yeah, and, and it, it's interesting because when I cut it, people said, Boy, you look like a whole new person. And in a way, it was the death of an old side of me and and the birth of another part. Yep, yep. That's what I was thinking. That's why you see yourself in the coffin. And you're going through a big change. If you've held on to the same hairstyle for years and years and you change your hair, you know, I mean, I've gone through these metamorphoses before in my life. I used to have hair that went down past my shoulders and you've seen pictures of me. I'm blonde and, yeah. you know, I'm Scottish German and I had this, you know, amazing head of hair, but <laughs> none of the girls seem to like it. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, the strangest thing happened. I worked at a club. I was a um, Pilates yoga instructor and they were having a drawing for a free makeover. And I was like, Hmm, somebody said you ought to enter your name in there. And they said, oh, it's okay for employees to do it. They had hundreds of names dropped into this jar on little slips of paper. And I knew as soon as I put that slip in there that I was going to be the one chosen because it was time for a change. But I didn't know where I wanted to go. So when I had this makeover, the guy who was my stylist was like this fabulous, trained, you know, hairstylist. He took an hour and a half to restyle my hair from long hair, shaggy, sort of Kurt Cobain looking, you know, all one length to much more like British rocker style. And then Uh the next time I saw him, he cut it shorter. And the next time he cut it shorter. And now I have a faux hawk, which is a Ah. very short haircut. (laughs) So, you know, and I have stuck with that. That's the picture you see on my books and stuff because it exposes my face more and Uh for other reasons. But I went through this rock and roll phase. My dad had long hair when I was a kid and I'd always wanted to grow up my hair so I found myself as a fitness instructor, Pilates instructor, yoga instructor, and a ponytail just kind of went with the look, you know, but it got old after a while. And when I cut my hair, I tell you, that was a significant point in my life. There was a lot of things that changed within that span of time of, say, about six months to a year for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost a completely different life that I started living after that. I find so. that, that a lot of people about, about every decade reinvent themselves. And um, it, it, it's an important thing to do because, you know, <clears throat> we, get, we get complacent and, and, ap- and almost apathetic in, 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 you know, grooves become ruts and they're hard to dig out of. And, and it takes about 10 years in, for a lot of us to realize it's time for a major change. 
let's let's do something weird and I like that, you know, that's, that's a part of me that, you know, I enjoy that. So it's not as upsetting for me to do something strange as it is for a lot of people. But, but, you know, when you, when you, when you become um, stagnated in your life, changing a lot of the physicality of you is, is, a, is a, you start at the outside and move inside. And, yeah. and it does work. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, how did you get started at at mm. at digging into dreams like this? I mean, it, it, first of all, it had to be a personal adventure for you. But but then, what drove you beyond doing it for yourself and then stretching into other people as well? Well, it began with um, two parts. You could say self exploration, which was something I'd always been interested in, and seeking answers for my life. I was in my 20s. I was in my third or fourth year of college, and I was really losing steam. I was studying. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I couldn't figure out how to get there. I mean, I had an idea based on a prayer when I was 16 years old, and I sat at my bedside, and I said the most sincere prayer of my life. I said, God, I want to be an author. I mean, I had tried others like, God, I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a, you know, I went through the whole list. And then I finally, you know, I want to be a rock star. And then when the idea struck me, I want to be an author, it was, it stuck, you know, in my 16 year old mind, it seemed to me like I'd finally found the thing that brought together all these parts of me, you know, the part of me that loved reading, the part of me that wanted to tell stories, the part of me that wanted to make an impact on the world and show off my you know, abilities with word and with idea, stuff like that. And, you know, so I knew that about myself, but I didn't know how to get there. Even the English classes and writing and journalism classes I was taking in college, it wasn't really getting me there. And there were some deeper reasons too. you know, some personal things where after my family got divorced when I was a teenager, I basically flipped out for about four or five years. And I was on a very destructive path. And then I just sort of put everything together for myself and I went off to college. It was kind of an amazing turnaround. I mean, it was, it was a lot of synchronicity that brought that together, but here I am and I'm three or four years into college and I'm losing steam and I'm looking around for answers. And I encountered the teachings of someone named Larry Pesavento in Cincinnati, Ohio. Larry has a book called Toward Manhood. And I encountered early chapters from that book, and he talked about a few things that immediately, you know, piqued my interest, such as Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, and how dreams can be a window into your inner world, that it can help you to explore yourself and find answers. And so I ended up in Larry's office and talking with him about my life, and he guided me towards dreams, and then he gave me a reading list. You know, it started with Carl Jung, and then we went off into all these different, you know, people who have spoken about dreams, such as uh, James Hillman, a little bit of Freud, not much, you know, and then later people like Robert Johnson. And uh, um, I found on my own, I found Edgar Casey and Ann Faraday and people like that. And so it was kind of necessity in a way, Barbara, because I know that my life was kind of, it was at a major crossroads and that I was looking for something to help to guide me. And when Larry, my mentor, led me toward dreams, it made perfect sense to me in a way that it just resonated so deeply because I said, wow, do you mean to tell me that these answers are already within me? 
You know, here I am mm-hmm. looking for a father figure, a mother figure, any figure to help <laughs> me to figure out my life, you know, and my, you know, and I find someone who is deeply wise and knowledgeable and he points me towards my dreams. So from there it took off and I did a lot of self-exploration, kept very detailed dream journals, went through periods where I was not very tuned into my dreams and other periods where I was very intensely attuned to them. I find that during periods of change, whether external or internal, you'll, you'll have a lot of dreams. It'll be an intense period of dreams. And it's a really good time to pay attention to you because they're trying to guide you through that process of change. And then I met my wife. I was 15 years into studying dreams or so, and I met her, and she was having some fantastic dreams. She was in a big transition in her life. So I helped her to understand her dreams. And when I saw the fruit of that that it really bore fruit for her in her life. But we were also able to accurately figure out the dreams. And I was able to do this with with someone who has a graduate level education. Mm -hmm. And it told me that I can explain this in a way that people get. They may not read a book by Carl Jung and come away from it going, I understand now how to interpret my dreams, or at least I can interpret them better. Sometimes you read people like Jung and you are actually more lost than when you started because he is not writing for the everyday audience. He's writing for an academic audience and people tend to forget that. Freud was writing to other doctors. He was not writing to the general public. He was publishing so that he could talk to other people who were academic and scientists and worked in medicine like he did. So a lot of if we turn to those things as our sources, then what we end up finding is something that can end up making us more confused. So I said, I need to write books that people can truly wrap their minds around. I need to use a lot of examples. And so that's when I ended up at reddit.com because they have a dreams forum there. There were only about 5,000 subscribers when I started, and there are 45,000 now. And over the last eight years, as I've contributed to that community, it has really grown. And I've gained thousands of practices there and hundreds of examples that I can pull into my books and say, this is what this dream means to this person at this time. This is how we reached those conclusions. If you step back and decode the symbolism and understand the story that the dream's telling, you reflect on your life and go through these basic processes of dream interpretation, you can figure it out the same way that we did. So that's what I've done. I've got that first book, Dreams 1, 2, 3, and now I have the Dream Interpretation Dictionary, which I wanted Mm -hmm. to write a dictionary format because, Barbara, most people look to dream interpretation dictionaries or dream dictionaries when they're looking for sources of information and I was finding people who were getting bad information either through pop psychology dream dictionaries or the dreaded I Googled it. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm really I'm glad that you 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 stuck you 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 lean more towards Jung than Freud because you know had you gone towards Freud you might not have been in the place you're in now. Um, yeah. But but it just you know it it isn't and, and I have to tell everybody that. That it, it isn't just, just, it, it isn't just your everyday life and your everyday whatever that goes on within dreams. You can even, and this is, this is, my, this will, uh, you know, my audience will go crazy over this. You can also get into past lives. Yes, you can. And I've been learning how to do this. Um, I read the um, uh, Michael Talbot book, uh, Your mm-hmm. Past Lives. 
And I also delved into this. In fact, today I just recorded a podcast about past lives and dreams and how to um, how to be able to tell some of the things. How, how do you know that it's a past life? And um, I've talked to Kevin Tedeschi at um, Association for Research and Enlightenment about it, and he's taken Edgar Cayce's teachers, uh, teachings about past lives and dreams. So he's a great source. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, for your readers who might be interested, not every time that you dream about being in the past is a past life dream in the sense of you're dreaming about a life that you lived before this one. Mm-hmm. You always have to look first at the ways that dreams can use that kind of setting and imagery to tell a story about perhaps something in your past or the ideas such as old fashions. You know, you see people in period dress and, you know, the men are wearing top hats and the ladies are wearing, you know, I don't know, hoop skirts or something like that. And you think, ooh, I must have lived in the New York in 1920s, you know? Well, not necessarily, you know, you have to go through a process of feeling your way through a dream like that and seeing if there are other indications that the dream is actually showing you a scene pulling up a memory from a past life as opposed to using that imagery as a way of telling a story. Yeah. One of the things I have the most fun um, with when, when I do some of these radio shows is I will do past lives for people. And to me, past lives are not, you know, just fun scenarios. They aren't random little hopscotches through time. They're, they're stepping stones on a journey through time and dimension and, and, you know, I tell them their past life and then I, I tell them what they bring from that past life to apply to this life. And, and you know, what was the value in that life that gives you greater insight and, um, and greater gifts and talents that you can utilize if you so choose. So the, the thought that people can, can really tap into their own past lives if, if, <clears throat> if they want to work at it is really wonderful. And if they use, of course, there are great teachers out there now for this subject. There, are, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny how widely it's being taught. You know, a lot of people don't know I'm also the moderator at Reddit of the Past Lives and Reincarnation Forums. And I kind of adopted them as my babies because I have gone through a process of learning more about myself through past life regression. And the, uh, the sort of deep sort of semi-hypnotic trance-like states that you go into for, to allow these memories to arise. I find, though, that it becomes less and less necessary to get into those kinds of states in order for to be able to access that information. Um, but it is very highly informative for you. It's a way of just kind of letting the conscious mind get out of the way and then access these deeper layers that are there within you. You know, it's a real phenomena, and a lot of people don't know, actually, that reincarnation has a mountain of evidence that has been accumulated through the scientific method and modern research methods that down at the University of Virginia that uh, Ian Stevenson and then Jim Tucker, both are professors in the uh, Department of Perceptual Studies there, and they have accumulated thousands of reports of reincarnation that are gathered with the research scientists in mind so that they can present this data to their peers and say, does this pass the smell test or did we do something wrong? And now, basically, they have become so airtight with their evidence that there is no denying it, that there are too many children who are having reports of past life memories and that the memories are so detailed and specific and the child is so young 
and that there is no way that they could have gotten this idea in their head unless what they're actually reporting are actual memories of past lives. Oh, you yeah. Know. And, and what I find fascinating as well is that, that I have found, um, and, and you know, I, I've, I've been in the field for maybe 50 years, So, and, but I haven't done any real research, but I have just found that phobias come from past lives. Yeah, if there's not a good reason to explain something, a fear that is that deep, such as a phobia, then you might look at a past life experience. You know, you have a phobia of, say, you know, spiders, even the small little guys that, you know, sit in the corner of the, you know, or they're outside. You don't even have a reason to be leery of them, but you still you see these inordinate reactions sometimes out of people to things. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a past life where you had that trauma that involved a spider you know, or something like that, or a fear of heights. You know, I used to have um, kind of a fear of being in the water, and I was a really bad swimmer despite having experience in the water. I would still, you know, inhale water all the time and all that. And eventually, um, I had, I got my own pool here in Tucson. We moved into, we bought a home, and the home had a pool. And I learned how to be comfortable in the water, but there is an intuitive sense in me that says that in a past life, that I perhaps either died in the water or had some kind of trauma. Maybe I watched someone die in the water, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it imprinted this fear into me that there was not, you know, I don't know if it would go to the level of phobia, but there was a fear in me of the water. And it was not based on my experience, my reality in the water, other than the fact that I knew I wasn't the best swimmer in the world. And now I kind of swim around like a fish because I've learned, I've learned how to get comfortable, but I had the time and the privacy in order to be able to kind of work my way through it and get comfortable. I learned how to float. Barbara, that was the biggest thing for me. I learned how to float. You got to be able to arch your back and put out your arms and do the other things that will keep you atop the water. But once you know that you can sit there indefinitely in that float position, then it makes the fear go away. And then you're doing these deep breathing exercises and stuff as you're floating along, and it makes you get into these very deep states of relaxation, and you're <laughs> floating over top of eight feet of water, you know. So, yeah, I do find that phobias can relate to past lives and that it can play itself out in a dream. I saw a very interesting example of this was a guy, and I think I put it in Dreams 1, 2, 3. There was a guy who um, dreamed that his coworker, his lab partner, had trapped a spider in a glass jar and she holds it out to him like here look at it isn't it cool and he recoils from the spider like he does usually from spiders because he's afraid of them and he looked inside the glass and he said that the glass magnified the spider to make it look many times bigger than what it really is ah can you you know you know what that is right yeah that's magnifying his fear and that his fear is he's making the, sp- the fear of spider, he's making it a bigger thing than it should really be. So I thought that was fascinating. And it turns out that the coworker, because dreams, every detail of a dream is meaningful, it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. The coworker was chosen as a character in the story because that coworker is the kind of person he said is not afraid of anything. And he admires her for it. And so that's why the dream picked her to be the one who shows him the spider. You know, you, you brought up a good point here that I, I, I do want to kind of go into a little bit. Um, you, you talk about um, in some dreams, there are archetypes 
there are people that you know that represent certain qualities that you that you admire and <clears throat> excuse me in other types of dreams every person in the dream is an aspect of you how do you yes. tell the difference um, whether or not the portrayal, the way that the character is shown to you, the dream character, when you analyze the story, you will notice a difference, whether there is some basis of reality for the way that that character is shown to you. In other words, if it actually represents someone from your life and the relationship you have with that person and the perceptions you have of them, then it will pull in some facts from the reality that you know about the person. But if it is presented to you as completely imaginary or a characterization, as I call it, there's a portrayal, which is based in part on reality, and there's characterization, which is completely imaginary. If it is a characterization, then you know that it is entirely a projection of your inner world. Now, it's not to say that the character is not imaginary when it is portrayed to you, but what I find is, is that I'm looking more toward outer life for the source of the dream. We're always trying to connect the dream with something either that happened, that is an ongoing situation or circumstance, some kind of interaction with the people around you, or are you talking about things that are going on entirely within your inner world? And those kinds of dreams, the dream characters, will be more imaginary. Now, they can be the people that you know, or here's almost a dead giveaway. You start dreaming about something, say, mythological, you know, kings, queens, uh, you know, dragons, knights, uh, you know, mythological creatures, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. the, all that kind of stuff, you know, the Minotaur or something like that. Well, now you know that the dream is getting really fanciful. And unless that imagery represents people and things from your waking life, then you know that the alternative and the much more likely answer is, is that they represent parts of your internal world. You know, archetypes is a, it's a fascinating subject, and it's one that is also easily misunderstood because the term archetypal is uh, bad. You know, it's kind of tossed about a lot to describe a lot of different things. And if you look at the original way that Jung talked about it is, is that an archetype is basically a fusion of positive and negative polarity that is the underpinning or foundation of the psyche, and that through the archetype, you have things that will influence an area, a major area of your life, such as the ability to lead your life. That could be the king or queen, the vision you have for your life, setting resources in motion, setting, you know, making, um, uh, giving marching orders to your internal world and telling all these parts of you that you need them to work together to build the kingdom. Well, that's the king or queen within you or the prince or the princess or something. And then you'll see imagery that will be, say, like a warrior and it could be anywhere from, you know, a knight in shining armor to a special operations soldier from modern day. Either way, what you could be seeing is your warrior archetype. And when I say warrior archetype, it is all of those ideas and energies that are brought together under one roof. And you can access parts of you that are in that. You can access those archetypes through your dreams. I mean, they, they access you. But I found that I can pull up, like, say, for the warrior, my favorite warrior is Bruce Lee. And when I need to speak to the warrior in me or I need it to speak to me in a good sort of expression of that energy, then it, I can talk to it as a sort of Bruce Lee. And I can feel that warrior energy enter into my conscious mind and I can now start to work with it. And I can say things such as, I need your energy to apply to this thing that I need to do or 
I need to stand up for myself in this situation and I need to do it in a way that I won't lose my freaking head. You know, <laughs> now, <laughs> Bruce, now you... Lee was, <laughs> Bruce Lee was quite the philosopher too. And he was a patient person, but he knew he could also do a roundhouse kick and knock your nose off your face if he wanted to. So it's good to be able to enter into a situation with that sort of sureness of yourself. And I find it through archety- accessing those archetypal images within me, whether it's in a dream or I can do it consciously now. Now, your archetypes also had a shadow side. Yeah, that's why, you know, you might have a warrior side of you that would rather pick up a machine gun and walk into a McDonald's, you know, or that's an extreme example, you know, but you you see, you see what I mean, you know, and so you will have a side of you that either sticks up for you too strongly or that can't stick up to you. And that is the negative polarities of your um, of your warrior archetype. There's actually a shadow side. There is a negative manifestation and a positive manifestation. And you really have to think of it in terms of polarity. You know, the negative side of the warrior is a energy that is, um, it tends to blame. It tends to be more masochistic. You know, it, it, it sends the warrior energy, but it uses it against you. It's a voice that talks in your head that says that you can't stick up for yourself or something along those lines. And then the other side of that coin is the positive polarity of the shadow side of the warrior, which is overreactive. And in the end, it's really just afraid, but it doesn't want anyone to know that it's afraid, which is the classic bully syndrome. So you can delve into this and you can really understand yourself better by seeing yourself in the archetypes. What you're really trying to do is transcend that conflict of opposites between positive and negative and find a third higher expression of that energy, which is the energy in its fullness and its mature expression. And this is what Carl Jung called transcendence. So I have, I, I, it gets really deep. You you won't really see archetypes that much in your dreams unless you train yourself to look for them. And then the thing that can get in the way is you can start seeing too many archetypes in the sense of you say, well, I can identify this pattern of this character here and it's archetypal. So it must be my, you know, magician archetype, you know, and you go, well, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Let's look at the way that it's used in the story first before we reach any conclusions. And I want to make a point about this. I use terms such as magicians or wizards or whatever, because they're very mythological. And that tends to be the way that archetypes manifest in dreams or in your imagination. Well, the modern wizard is the person who is a geneticist. They're taking the building blocks of life and creating something new. There is a magic to that, you know. They are the computer engineers and things along these lines. We have modern-day wizards and magicians, and they can take form just as easily in dreams to show the ways that you can use arcane knowledge and skill to be able to do some fantastic things in the world if, for example, you know how to program computers or do computer graphics or manipulate genetic code or something along those lines. I highly recommend the work of Robert, um, uh, uh, not Robert Johnson. There are too many Roberts in the field of this uh, psychotherapy. (laughs) Robert Moore, um, he wrote the book um, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. And while it delves into the male side of the psyche, all of the things that he teaches can be understood as the, in the female side of the psyche and in the archetypes that manifest in females. You know, instead of a king energy, it's a queen energy and a female. And there are certain variations to it that depend on gender, but the overall lessons are the same. And I learned more about archetypes from King, a warrior, magician, lover um, than I did from any other single source. And once I learned how to see it in my dreams, 
you know, then we're really off to the races. Well, I think that's one of the other really good good things about um, Dreams 1, 2, 3, because you do also give um, recommendations of, of books that, that, you know, if someone wants to go further with something, there are a lot of really good books that you are recommending along the way that they can, you know, stop and smell the roses and read the book and, and apply whatever, you know, those give you. I mean, it, it, it tends to look a little overwhelming at first, but the more you get into it, the more easy it becomes. And the more comfortable you become with, you know, writing down your dreams, sitting back, having a Diet Coke or a cup of coffee and, and, you know, trying to look for what, what, what am I trying? I, I think if you're saying to yourself, what am I trying to say to me? You know, instead, yeah. instead of what does this mean? It, it's basically, what am I trying to say to myself? What, what, what does this symbolize for me? What, what does, this particular symbol or this particular um, scenario mean to me or, or how do I apply it to my life or where can I reflect it in my life? Is this in my reality or is this inside of me? And I do that on a daily basis, Barbara, when I have enough dream imagery to work with, even flashes of dreams, I use it as a sort of diary and it tells me what's going on in my inner world. It can provide a doorway into it. Even just a flash of memory can do that for you. So it is a great habit to get into. And when I was first getting into dream interpretation, a lot of my daily process was really just waking up from a dream and having a symbol in it and then using the indexes in my dream books to try to look up information related to it. Uh I didn't even have a dream dictionary back then. That was 25 years ago. I mean, there were a few on the market, but I wasn't finding ones that really pleased me. So I was digging into my young, you know, my books from Carl Jung and from other dream interpreters, and I would look up the symbols, and it gradually built a base of knowledge for me to work from. But the bigger thing is, is that it taught me the language that dreams use. If you can understand the language of symbolism, which is modeled on our human language, then from there you can see the dream being constructed from the ground up. It's starting with the words, which are the symbols. Behind the symbols are simple ideas and meanings. And then when the symbols are put together with other symbols into a story form, then they they convey more complex ideas. So you start off understanding the symbols themselves. It's kind of like when you're learning a foreign language, you might learn individual words that there comes a point eventually when you're going to want to put all those words together into sentences and sentences into, you know, chapters and paragraphs and chapters and so on. So as you learn to do that, you become fluent in the language of your dreams and it is a learning process, but it is worth it. Like you said, it's a practice like anything else. You get better at it and you might end up finding yourself with an understanding of your dreams that goes much deeper than where you started and much deeper than any sort of pop psychology or anything that like that about dreams could ever um, teach you or inform you of. And, and the best part of it is you're doing it for yourself. It's, it, I mean, it's fine to do this with other people and, and I don't know, even maybe have a group that compares notes and, and, you know, I saw this, this is what it meant to me. Do you see another way I could look at this? I mean, it, it can be it can be a lot of fun. I think one one of the things that that um, I learned right on when I started out in this field that that certain symbols that frighten people really don't mean what they think. It's it's very much like the death card in tarot. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean <clears throat> you're going to die. 
it means that, that there is something that is going to go away so that something can be reborn. It doesn't mean you're going to die. And yeah. most people, you know, see, see, I mean, like when I saw my funeral, I was pretty sure I wasn't dying. I just, I was just dying to see what the hell they had done with my hair. And, um, <laughs> I, that dream still bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love dying to see what happened to my hair. I mean, a uh, nice pun there. I like that. Whether you did it on purpose or not, you no, know, this, wasn't on purpose. <laughs> this, and you know, the, 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 the dream interpretation can be a lot of fun. We have this impression that you've got to sit down on the leather couch and let Dr. Freud talk to you about your childhood, you know, but that's not really a, a lot of it is really more a daily personal help and therapy. It's a daily talking to it's a sort of check in with your higher sources or guidance or whatever. It's still it's coming from within you. And I meant to include this when I was talking about my how I got into dreams. And one of the things that really appealed to me about it, it's answers that are your answers. They are answers from you. They come from inside of you. So if I can, if I tell someone the meaning of their dream the best that I can, and I don't let them work through it themselves, then they tend to miss what that deep message is, what they can pull out of the dream, what is the, essentially their own message to, their, to themselves, what is their own wisdom that they are telling themselves. So I like the way that you approach the dream is instead of saying, what does it mean or how do I interpret it? Really, you can start off with the idea of, how do I get the message? Yeah. And if it's a message, you think of it, well, it's kind of written in a foreign language. What can I do to understand that language better? Well, you can take a course at dreamschool.net on symbolism. I have a four-hour or so video presentation on, on dream symbolism. You can go into great depth about the subject. You can learn the way that I do it. But I'm going to remind you along the way of something that Dr. Carl Jung said, he said, if you want to be a dream interpreter, learn everything that you can about dream symbolism. And then while you're interpreting a dream, forget it all, because what you're really doing is delving into a story that the dream is telling you. It is like a parable. There is a lesson here to be learned, and that is essentially what the dream is doing. Whether it is a simple story about what's going on in your life right now, or it is a very complex story that is a retrospective over a long period of your life, or a big decision, or something like that, a big event, well, you're still going through the same basic process of understanding it as a message, as a parable. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 something we we tend to forget. I I told you earlier about I got a symbol for somebody that it was I saw antique buttons. And I was trying to interpret it, you know, for her, you know, old buttons, collect antique buttons, go to, I, I, and, and, and a couple of weeks later, you know, I asked her, you know, how's it going? And she said, I have no desire to look at antique buttons. And I said, well, then don't. I said, but, but I kept getting buttons for you. And then, then the light bulb went on and it was like, is somebody from your past pushing your buttons. And I think it's important for us to remember that these are symbols. Most of the time, they are not meant to be, they aren't meant to be literal. They are symbolic. That's right. There's an overt meaning. There's an overt image, and then there's a hidden meaning. This is the basic way of understanding a dream symbol. It uh -huh. is, there's a hidden meaning behind the symbol. So I thought that was very clever of you, Barbara, that you were able to see the, the antique, part of it, what you might call the adjective that modifies the button, 
is referring to the past. And if it is a person from your past and you put that the idea together with pushing your button and dreams are known for using word plays, figures of speech, you know, metaphors, oh, things yeah. like that. Now you can see person from your past pushing your button and it can that the meaning becomes clear and notice how concise that it is. Notice oh, the way yeah. that all of the meaning is present there just in that symbol. Symbols are loaded with meaning. You might call it potential energy within the dream symbol. And as you unfold or unpack the dream symbol, what you find are these deeper and deeper layers to it, which then connect intrinsically in with subconscious parts of your mind. Subconscious meaning outside of your conscious awareness. And you can make these connections and pathways within yourself simply by working with the energy. For example, with your friend, the next step that I might take with her with the antique buttons is to imagine a scenario where that button cannot be pushed. Mm -hmm. And if that is, you might not be able to stop the person from your past who is trying to push your buttons. You can't necessarily stop their actions, but what you could do is address it even subconsciously by feeling like that person can't reach inside and get to that part of you anymore that can be pushed and becomes reactive to the provocations of that person. And you can do it simply by imagining what happens with that button. You know, like you take the button and you put it inside of a bank vault and you see yourself <laughs> close the bank vault and lock it down and no one else knows the combination. Well, now that button, nobody can push it. Oh, you know? well yeah, what we did was we did a meditation and we went in and we rewired it. Yeah, how did you do that? Um, through meditation, we visualized the button. We visualized the wires coming out from the back of it. We took a, well, we took hedge clippers actually because mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure we really did it good, and <laughs> we we cut them all. And and she said, "Is that it?" And I said, "No. Why don't we do this? Why don't we rewire the buttons so that?" when they push your button, they get a pain in the neck. Hmm. Interesting. It, I was, I was thinking a shock or something. It, you know? well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, so, so, and it was funny because she called me a couple of weeks later and she said, you know, that guy I was telling you about that was pushing my buttons. And I said, yeah, she said, he started at me and I realized that the button was no longer there. And I watched him. And, and after he'd been talking for a while, he reached up and he was rubbing his neck. And oh. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, or you could even take it another direction if you want to be, you know, if you want to go more towards kind of bringing the light into everyone's lives, you might imagine it as they get, you know, the, that a holy light opens up over top of their head every time they try to press that button. You know, or something like that. I have found that it is amazing things that you can do with imagery from your dreams that's charged with negative emotions if you embrace it in well, some way and just give it love that that is more spiritual but it was more giving a pain in the oh yeah 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 definitely <laughs> and the guy has no idea why you know none, <laughs> none. she said i just sat there smiling and he got so fed up with me he walked away and i said perfect perfect but but yeah i i think people have to understand that 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 we really have amazing power inside of us to do uh to discover magical wonders that we carry within um is is there some way we can program ourselves before we go to sleep 
first of all, to remember our dreams. And then to sometimes if, if there's an issue we want to work on to focus ourselves when we get to dream state in that direction. Yeah, well, the first thing you're going to do is prepare yourself before you go to sleep. I find that clearing my mind and listening to um, the OM chant in particular mm-hmm. helps to get myself tuned up right. But even if I don't have an opportunity to do that, what I'm doing before I'm going to bed is I'm preparing myself for sleep. I have a little ritual. And if you want to tell yourself, A, that you are going to have dreams, and B, that it's really important that you remember them. And you can say that to yourself and so that it really resonates deep inside of you. And that deepest part of you says, okay, I'll be paying attention for my dreams. And then the second thing to do is to phrase your question that you have in the most um, neutral but specific sort of way that you can. You know, like, how do I deal with this person who is pushing my buttons? You know, if that is your question, then you go to bed with it on your mind. You say it to yourself a few times. And then you seek the answer. You look for the guidance. I find that it can appear very cleanly and simply and quickly. And I find other times that it takes a while or it might not happen on the first night or it might be shown to me as symbolism or something along those lines. But you can have a relationship with that side of your mind. And if you have built that relationship by doing your daily work of working on your dreams, then you really start to reap the rewards of this because the energy feeds you from that other side of your mind, keeping in mind that at least 95% of your mind is that other side of your mind, and it can connect in with other people and resources that you can't connect in with consciously. You can't resolve a problem or answer a question or whatever within yourself then what the dream can do is reach out for help. And that's when you get an interesting thing, such as connecting in with your ancestors in dreams or going to past lives or connecting in through dream telepathy. I know people who answer very complex questions with their jobs and their work lives simply by going to bed with it on their mind and then looking for the ways that they then start having conversations with people who are experts who can tell them what they are missing. Dr. Young got to the point toward the end of his life where all he had to do was say that he wanted to know something and his, um, he was known for stuff arriving randomly, seemingly randomly in the mail the very day that he formulates the question and it would answer it for him. And sometimes it was very arcane knowledge, things that, you know, and it had been, it had taken a month to get to him because somebody from the other side of the world sent them something in Sweden, you know, and it's 1947. <laughs> it's not like the, you have FedEx, you know, and it arrives on that very morning. And there were people who witnessed this and said, man, that man is just tuned in, isn't he? So the more that you put effort into establishing this relationship with the other side of you, the more it can do the work in your favor and you can come to it with your requests and it is more likely to answer but it's sort of like showing up on Christmas Eve and saying, hey, Santa, I'm sorry for all the bad stuff I did this year. Can I still have a present? You know, it's just, well, it, you, you know, know you might still get a present, but maybe Santa's going to look at you and go, yeah, I don't know. We got some work to do here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but don't forget, even if you have coal in the bottom of the toe of your stocking, it can, under pressure, be turned into a diamond. It can. That's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, sometimes stress and, and trauma and stuff like that, it, it, it's enough to turn us into diamonds, that's for sure. Um, so, so if someone is going through a depression, 
how can they use their dream state to come out of this? You know, not, it's not overnight. I mean, obviously, but, but yeah, I mean, so many people have, have issues that they're working on so much that sometimes it keeps them up at night, but once they go to sleep, how can you work on those issues that are really driving you crazy? Well, first is the desire. When you go to bed, you already have the desire to address it. And then you can allow your dreams to tell you stories that will allow you to react within those dreams in a way that will ultimately determine whether you access the inner resources that you need or if you have more learning or growth to do before you can access them. I have an example in my book of a woman who dreamed about being in a terrible snowstorm. She's struggling through the snow. It is an obvious metaphor for depression. And, you know, you feel weighed down and you feel cold inside and all that kind of stuff. You can't see far ahead in the figurative sense. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. You have no vision for the future. So she's going along in the snowstorm and um, she had made the decision before even getting into the dream that she wanted to try to find some kind of healing. That was basically she sent out that intent. And so the dreaming mind responded by showing her a beautiful amulet that was in the snow. She picks up the amulet out of the snow and take, and she claims it for herself, which is important. She's in claiming the energy and power that is in that symbol. So she continues on. And she comes upon a beautiful white horse that's standing there. And she's like, yes, I want to mount that horse. But there is a shadowy man who pulls the reins of the horse to pull it away from her and deny her the ability to be able to jump on the horse and ride away. So the horse symbolizes it is the ability of the unconscious mind to carry her forward out of her depression. The unconscious mind, when it sends these, it makes these sort of interventions in your life. You'll often see them in almost mythological sorts of imagery. I mean, the white horse is what, you know, how many times have people been rescued on a white horse? You know, like (laughs) this is pretty typical imagery. So she figures out the dream with me and we were like, okay, well, that's some interesting imagery. I see a lot to be positive about, but it's obvious that you need to be able to get that horse. So she programmed she into her own mind that if she ever saw that horse again, that she was going to claim it as her own. And sure enough, a couple days later, she had a dream that she was back in the snowstorm. She has the amulet with her. She sees the horse. The same shadowy man starts to reach for the reins, and she dashes up onto the horse, pulls the reins away, and rides off before the man can get to her. But then here's something interesting, Barbara. She came upon, she's riding through the snow. She knows that the man is chasing her and she comes upon a high cliff and then below her is a frozen lake or like icy cold water. And she has to decide whether what she's going to do. And she decides she will spur the horse to carry her over the edge and into the water, which was a way of saying that she was making a leap of faith that she knew that she would come out okay. And sure enough, basically she was immersing herself into what emotions that were associated with the depression, they're shown as cold and icy, so that she could then emerge out of that water, but be a stronger person because now she's on the horse. And the horse represents the hidden strength that is within her. And we watched it play out over time. You know, this is the thing when you are interpreting a dream like that on the morning that you have it. It can be hard to know exactly what the dream is saying or even if your interpretation is correct. But you can look back over time and see how your life plays out 
And if you can identify how your life is told in the stories of your dreams, then your dream journal becomes like a life journal and you're able to see these things, how your life unfolds after a dream like that. When you're in a dream and you're experiencing the dream, is there an aspect of you that has options that can control your Mm -hmm. actions in the dream? Or do you have to always be just a viewer of something? Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's very important for people to know that they already subconsciously know everything in their dreams. They created the dreams after all. So it's coming from another part of your mind and you can access that part of your mind, especially when you're asleep. So you know everything in the dream and you react based on that subconscious knowledge. So when she reacts the first time in her dream by allowing the man to take the horse away from her, she knows subconsciously that she is not ready to take on that part of herself that is represented as the shadowy man. He is a very clearly a shadow character from her psyche. And you know shadow, it's got to be dealt with. So she, in that first dream, she did not have the resolve or the strength. She didn't think she had it. But after some dream analysis and some inner work and some, you know, journaling and taking care of her body and her health and doing all the other things, then a few days later, when she got into the dream, she was able to react by taking the reins of the horse and riding away before the man could stop her. So by working with the imagery of the dream, she's actually loosing the forces or energy within her, the power within her to be able to address her depression And this is very important to understand as you're working with dreams is that is really the level where you are working. It is all you projected out into a landscape for you to interact with. That is essentially what a dream is. And so when you understand that and you know that you're interacting with parts of yourself, then you can pick up from there and start to use that imagery and consciously work with it. You don't have to be dreaming You can wake up after a dream and you can say, okay, I would like to continue that scene. I would like to know more about this scene or what this character is or that character. I have times, Barbara, that I talk to my dream characters in my imagination. I ask them questions and they will answer me. Oh, I've even gotten up and said to myself, I don't like the way that one ended. I'm going back to end it a different way. Yep. Extremely (laughs) interesting. Yep. You know, some sometimes bad dreams are simply like bad digestion or something, you know, or because it's you're responding on many levels while you're dreaming. There's a body level. There is a brain level, a mind level, which is body and brain together. You have your head talking to your heart, your heart talking to your head. You have your spirit sitting outside of all that going, hey, when am I going to get my chance here? You know, your spirit's ready to go out and journey after you've gone through a few sleep cycles and you've taken care of the basics. This is the thing is, is that dreaming has a priority to it. It needs to first, you need to get the deep breaths that you need. Your body has priorities. And once the body's gotten its priorities, then you have memory processing and emotional processing and big questions or little questions or whatever questions that you need to address. But when you're done with all of that and you still have time that you're asleep, then the dreaming mind can get more creative and say, I want to invent experiences for you. I want to put you into a holodeck, like on our show, Star Trek. 
that is a completely made-up simulated environment, but there's a purpose to it. There's a reason behind it. The dream creates a scenario and allows you to interact in it like in a simulation, and you can learn things about yourself by the way that you act and react to that story and the way that it's constructed by the dream. What, does, what is it called, and what does it mean when people share a dream? Mm. Um, mutual dreaming or shared dreaming is commonly the, um, uh, the word or phrase used for it, the term. And I have delved into this. I have found so many reports of shared dreams, and I know that in cultures outside of Western culture that it is commonly accepted, at least in some cultures, that on a nightly basis will share dreams. And anyone out there who shared a bed with their sibling is likely to say that they remember, if they can remember this, that they shared dreams with their sibling. Because when you sleep in the same bed with a person, you have that closeness. Now, you can share a dream with someone on the other side of the world. But I find that it is more likely that you are going to share dreams that it, with the people who are closest to you emotionally, personally, and also physically. You know, imagine the five siblings who are all asleep in the beds, you know, they're, they're all little kids or whatever. And it's back in the old days when you only had one bed for your five kids, yeah. you know, and they would all sleep in the bed. Can you imagine how much of that process is going on that is shared among them? You can share dreams, but what I find is, is that it is an, a layer that is not accessed until after all the other business is done. And then we go into something that is a collective layer of dreaming. I have found dreams that are, they suggest very strongly that the dream world, at least sometimes, is a reality that parallels our waking reality. And it is a place that we go to while we are asleep and dreaming. But again, the dream that you had about the waterfall and you woke up having the pee, you know, that's like a very obvious signal from your body, you know. But yeah. there are other dreams that you can't explain, and you seem to be part of this group process, these group adventures or decision-making or whatever conversations. And I have found, and what I'm convinced of, is, is that at least in some cases, what you are doing is sharing dreams with other dreamers, and that you don't all have to be asleep at the same time. Now, consciousness is limitless. Um and we have a consciousness. Can it be fragmented so that so that possibly you're even in two different or three different dreams at a time? Mm, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I see no reason why not. I I know that there are times that you have, for instance, dreams within dreams, mm-hmm. and that might be you going from level to level to level that you're starting off at more of a body or mind level, and then you're going into a deeper level of spirit, and then you're going into a deeper level of, say, collective unconscious or collective spirit or collective mind. And so you could have a dream within a dream within a dream, and each time you enter into a new dream, you're actually entering into a new layer. If you uh, have read Carlos Castaneda, he talks about, in The Art of Dreaming, he talks about this as being something that he cultivated as a practice of being able to recognize when he was dreaming and to be able to shift dreams while he was dreaming, to know enough about what was going on around him, to be lucid and aware while he was dreaming that he could then shift the dream 
and that was supposed to show that you had gained a level of control of your dreams that would open up a new gateway into another layer of reality that is normally inaccessible to the person even when they are dreaming because these are places where only the initiated are allowed to go. Okay. So very uh, interesting idea there that is uh, um, that is expressed in that book. Mm. And I found it in others. Um, Gene Campbell wrote Mutual Dreaming, and it is probably the number still to this day, the best number one source for information about the subject. So we have different levels of consciousness within our psyche. Yes. And some level, what I'm trying to, to, to kind of ease into, and there's no way to ease into it. So I'm just going to jump. Um, people who do astral traveling, who do remote viewing are doing it on a level of consciousness. It's, yes. It's like being in a dream state. Um, yes. Yes. Um, and it's a Carlos Castaneda actually talks about this, that eventually a point comes when you can manipulate the waking world the same as you do in your dreaming world and you can actually see it manifest physically. I have a friend of mine who's doing this just through his own exploration of lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he'd mind me sharing his name. His name is Ian Wilson. And you mentioned astral projection. Ian was recently at a Monroe Institute um, weekend workshop and he um, pretty much dropped a very interesting bomb on everyone by revealing to them that he can also lucid dream in the precognitive layers of dreaming. And so what he's actually doing is he's accessing a ability to be able to shape the future and do it consciously while he's dreaming. He has also reached into a dream state and he's been able to use his abilities as a lucid dreamer to apply those while he is awake and he's in a dreamlike state, but he's still tethered to the waking reality, he can reach through the dream state and cause minor changes in the physical world, including drawing a, um, a triangle on a friend's head. He actually did that in a full lucid dream. But I've seen the videos of him being able to reveal the underlying mesh fabric that is our three-dimensional reality. It starts off as sort of an energetic grid and Ian is able to see into that grid and be able to touch it and move it. And you can actually see things in his physical environment respond to that. Mm-hmm. So, but I, oh my gosh, that is so, Ian has been lucid dreaming since he was a teenager. Um, he read something in Discovery Magazine from Stephen LaBerge. And uh, I might pronounce his name wrong. Sorry, Stephen. Um, but he's one of these gurus of lucid dreaming. And he got into this idea and he and Ted, he said, well, you can lucid dream. You can take control of a dream and direct it to have these experiences. Well, isn't that interesting? I want to try that. And soon after, <laughs> he found himself lucid dreaming. And it turns out he's a natural at it. He says now, Barbara, get this. I am so envious of him to be able to do this. Maybe one of these days I'll be able to do it myself too. Yes, universe, it is a goal of mine. Um, he... He has now movie themes in his dreams. He can decide that he wants to be Luke Skywalker and his dream will create Star Wars for him. And then he can go in and interact as if he is in a full sensory immersive experience in a simulation, a virtual reality. And as if he has walked in as a character right into the movie, except it's not a movie set. It is the movie and he's doing this with others, too, like Transformers and these other movies that he's watched and video games that he's watched that or played in. He, he, he recreates these environments in his dreams, and then he goes and interacts in them. It is fascinating. I tell wow. you, you get to this point where you're such a master of your dreams, but you've got to be someone who has everything else out of the way. 
the dreaming mind will hijack and take over if it says, look, buddy, you got work to do and we have a limited amount of time. So you go do your little Star Wars adventure some other time. Right now, I need to tell you a story about why you're getting frustrated at work or why your family situation is declining or why you don't feel 100% or this thing that's happening in your body. And we need to go inside there. We need to do some work. So once you've reached that level where your life is very balanced, yeah, your dream world, man, it becomes just a fantasy land for you. I I did – I had a group of people – all around the world that, that we did um, remote viewing and mm-hmm. through, through lead meditation. And I took them out of body and then I took them back in time. And, and um, the responses that I got were, you know, from, from the experience each time we did it, were, were very, were fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the uh, remote viewing was one of those areas that I plumbed into because um, I know Russell Targ, who was one of the uh, people at SRI who ran the program. Um, I've followed Hal Pudoff, who was another one of the principals that ran that program. And I delved into Ingo Swan. God bless you, Ingo, wherever you are, because he was the originator of the program. He's the one who taught them. He was the psychic who taught them how to be able to remote view and then took off from there. And people like Pat Price and uh, uh, Joe McMonagall and uh, um, these other people have taken it off and done their own thing with it. But it is fascinating. You can send your mind anywhere in time or space that you want your mind to go to. And you can view things that you wouldn't be able to view otherwise because your mind's eye is untethered from your body. Absolutely. And you know, just just knowing that that kind of thing is possible, that that past lives are possible, that that tapping into the higher consciousness, the the spirit within, and getting messages for your physical reality, it can be done, and it's so simple. All you have to do is be consistent with it. I mean, a one shot deal is not going to get you much, but if you if you hang in there for a week, a month, three months you're going to find yourself getting more and more aware and conscious of the symbols of the metaphors of the scenarios and more comfortable with, Oh yeah, I know what this means. And you know, this is, you know, this aims me in this direction and this is what I'm working on. And then comparing it to your, to your everyday life so that you can, this will give you the missing pieces to what is going on in your physical reality. And I also want to make clear to people out there that you can use your dreams more as a conventional, you know, checking in, you know, mood regulation. Uh, You can use it to uh, understand your health better. And what I'm saying is the concerns, everyday concerns that you might have. And then if it is a natural progression for you, then you might be led to subjects such as past lives and out-of-body experience and lucid dreaming and some of these other things. But it is not something that you have to do. I know people who are very much into the physical experience of life and that they basically use their, they can use their dreams less as a, you know, psychonaut, somebody who wants to explore consciousness, and they can use it to explore this amazing world that we're part of. You can get all of that or some of it. The choice is really yours, and your dreaming mind really will tailor itself to what your priorities are. 
And if there is something about this larger experience that is calling to you, your dreams will let you know if it's if you either that you're ignoring it or you're unaware of it. Otherwise, you can use your dreams in very conventional ways um, without having to go into all these other areas if you don't. Oh, know. yeah. I mean, I, I, I have even I mean, it, it's so simple. Sometimes I have lost things and gone to bed saying to myself, I know that's here. <laughs> yeah. Where the heck is it? And I will dream of myself <laughs> looking in a certain place and finding it. I I lost something somebody had given to me, um, and I and I had promised them I would not lose it, and then of course I did. And <clears throat> my, in my dreams, I kept seeing myself going to the bookcase, and it was in the bookcase. And I kept going to the bookcase when I woke up, and it wasn't there. And it 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 was a recurring dream then. And I finally said, "All right." big bookcase. I finally said, I've been here. I've dusted here. I've looked here. It's not here, but it keeps coming back to me night after night. And so I meticulously took book after book after book out of the bookcase. And there, there it was, it was in the bookcase. Wow. And it, it was sort of like, Oh, good heavens. I cannot believe this. And, and it was like, my dream kept aiming me back there. Yep. And, Notice how persistent it was. That's the oh, way your yeah. dreams will be. If they, if you're not getting the message, your dreams will either tell you the same story or tell it differently. But either way, they're trying to help you get the message. And in this case, obviously, it was very important that you find that item. Yeah, and it was slipped between. It was slipped between the pages of a book, so that so that just looking at the book. You wouldn't see it. You had to take the book out and leaf through it, and there it was. They were. Um, Embroidered coasters, and it, it was sort of like I can't. And, and it took me, it took me maybe four months to actually pay attention enough to just take everything out. And and the, it, there it was. There but, it was. but 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 it's it doesn't. You, you don't have to um, have a PhD in this. You can you can utilize what what your dreams are sending you in your everyday life. And then when you become more and more curious. I mean, I would absolutely get Dreams 1, 2, 3 and the dictionary and, and play with it. And, you know, the, the, the most important thing about this work is if you play with it, if you have fun with it, you'll keep going. Yeah, and that's right. That's right. You'll see the benefit of it, too. You know, people are motivated by what benefits them. If you didn't get benefit from taking a yoga class or a cardio pump class or whatever, you wouldn't go and do it. But there's physical, emotional, mental, social benefits, you know, um, things. So we do the things that we know that benefit us. That's naturally what propels us forward. You know, I was always interested in self-exploration subjects such as um, astrology and the uh, Myers-Briggs test and stuff uh-huh. like that. And that naturally led me into dreams because of the way that they reveal the inner person and help you to get to know it in a way that you, you, you can't approach it consciously the same way. But once you've picked up on your dreams and how they approach it, then you can incorporate that into yourself consciously. And it will change the way that you view yourself, you view the world. But it is. It's a daily process of working with it. And it is fun. I mean, it's, it's amazing sometimes you know, you talked about finding a lost item. Barbara, I got one for you. I know a guy that found a bullwhip above his ceiling tiles. Oh, he, wow. Yes, he had hidden that bullwhip, or it had been hidden in his house years earlier. 
and it came to him out of the blue. He said that he had a dream about finding some lost video game cartridges, and when he reached deep, deep down inside of the Lazy Boy chair where the dream said those cartridges were, he found the video game cartridges. Yep. Now, it's possible that there was some kind of subconscious thing. You know, we can have memories that get, you know, they get across, they like miswired in the brain. They're associated with the wrong time or the other, you know, like there, it's possible that he knew somehow deep down in his brain that those cartridges were there. But I've also found times that dreams revealed where things were, that there was no possible way that the dreamer could have known that like those embroidered, you know, the, what you, the items you were talking about there, how, how in the world would you ever know even deep down in your mind that it had flipped between the pages of a book. I, you know? yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing too, for most people in their twenties and thirties, it can help you understand if a relationship is working or is not working. Why is it fixable? Should I stay or should I go? I mean, it will, it will give you that kind of insight. It won't tell you whether to stay or go, but it will give you information that you can apply to your life that can, you can make choices from. And that's very important distinction there because the dream is not forcing you into anything. It is giving you the information that you need to, to be able to make a decision. I found this when people decide whether or not, for example, to um, go forward with a relationship. They're interested in someone. They have to make a decision whether they go to the next step or move on to the next person. And the dream will actually give them the prospects and how they feel deep down inside of themselves about it. And I think they can also even tap into the mind of the person that you need to make that decision. It's like, well, do I know this person's true feelings and intentions? Well, they know their true feelings and intentions, and you can sort of remote view or telepathically connect with them to pull that information out of them. Then it turns into a dream form, and you can decide whether or not it's worth going forward in the relationship or not. So it's still... It is your decision. The dream is not making any decisions for you. I get this from people who say, hey, I had this dream that I was falling in love with my best friend and it was wonderful. Does this mean that we're destined for each other? And I go, are you destined for each other? How do you feel about it right now when I ask you that question? Because the best that a dream can do is help you to clarify your own feelings and understand all the personal and situational dynamics that are at play. Otherwise, it is up to you to make that decision. And trying to leave it to a dream to act as an oracle of some kind is not fair It's not fair to yourself. It's not fair to the dream. It's not really what the dream is meant to do, although it can be used for those things when you're really in a lurch. You know, that's that's why they took people to the dream, the dream temples in ancient Greece. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm dying of some disease and we don't have modern medicine. You know, <laughs> so yeah. you would go to the or you would go to the temples. This was something that people did and they would sleep there overnight and they would try to dream about the thing that would help them to heal. And there are many reports of people coming out going, the dream told me to find the uh, berry that grows on the riverbanks at, you know, I don't know, some famous river in Greece. I can't think of one. Um, but Or on the banks of the uh, Aegean Sea, and I will find this certain thing, and it will be the cure for the, my condition. And lo and behold, you know, 
it works. Yeah. And then lo and behold, modern medicine says, oh, yeah, there's this amino acid that gets together in this (laughs) chain and it does this and that and this and that. And you go, well, how in the world did the dream know that? It's it's tapping into some type of collective unconscious mind where all information is stored about our human species going all the way back to the origins. That's something that Carl Jung said about the unconscious mind and the collective unconscious mind, that it has been a repository of all of our memories and experiences going all the way back to the beginning of our species and perhaps before, all the way back to the first one-celled organisms or multi-celled organisms that emerged from the oceans. Mm -hmm. And all of that experience and knowledge is actually, all of that memory is contained there. So you can actually reach into the collective unconscious through your dreams to be able to gain information that there is no other way that you'd be able to get it. And that, my friends, is why you should pay attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. No, it, it, um, we are, after all, our own hall of records. And we do have access to all of that information. It's a matter of trusting, having faith, and working at it. And um, the, it, it is work, but it is fun. And, and enlightenment is just one of the coolest things in the world. <laughs> And everybody finds it differently, no matter what layer or level of of awareness that you want to work with your dreams on. um, I highly encourage that you try that you that you, you know, get at least, you know, some understanding of what they can give you and what they can show you, because the more you open yourself up to the potential you have within the greater the potential you have for the future. Yeah, that's right. And the more access um, you have to parts of yourself that can be brought to bear, you might not even know that these things exist within you yet, but they're there and they can take form as objects or characters in your dreams. (laughs) And your dreams will lead you in scenarios to try to open those doors. There's a big clue for you. The next time you're opening a door to a new room in a dream, you might be opening a new door to some part of yourself. And when you turn on the light switch, it means it becomes a conscious part of yourself as opposed to in the dark or unconscious. And all you got to do is follow along with the stories. You know, I teach this over and over again at dream school is you are, you are projecting your inner world out into your dreamscape. You can pull in parts of your outer waking reality and the people and situations and stuff in it, your dreams can address these things. Uh They can also address the things that are going on deep within you. And what you are seeing is an unfolding process as you make more of yourself conscious. That is in the end, that is what you are doing by dreaming. The dreaming mind is saying, look, you have all this unused space in here. (laughs) You need to start (laughs) getting, digging in and it's going to unfold to you naturally if you will put in the effort on your end to make this stuff become conscious. And if you do enough of this over a lifetime or however much time it takes you, you can eventually have a sort of marriage between the conscious and unconscious minds, which the alchemists called marriage of the soul. And what it is actually doing is uniting the conscious with the unconscious. And your dreams, in that sense, are like nightly marriage counseling sessions. <laughs> they're, they're trying to teach you what you need to know to be able to approach your unconscious mind in a way that the unconscious mind says, yes, you're ready to access these new parts of yourself. Here you go. Have fun. And we've been dreaming since in utero. So it's it's a matter of, of using all the material that we've gathered and and helping it to make 
our, our lives richer. Um, Jason, we're almost out of time. I have to I thank you so much for struggling with me at the beginning of the show. <laughs> no struggle at all. It was it was it was it ended up becoming a great conversation. So it's been my pleasure, Barbara. Thank you. And and I really hope that we can do this again so we can go even further into this. Um, your website is J A M D E B O R D dot com and the bar um, dreams one two three and the dictionary I forget the full name of the dictionary but the, the dream interpretation dictionary simple signs and meanings okay on amazon.com get them on my website barbaradolong.com go to I recommend and the book section and you can hop right to Amazon from there um, thanks for being with us everybody it's been a delight and a pleasure and we will look forward to coming back and hopefully be connected a little faster next time. So have a great evening and um, stay well, stay happy, and dream big. <laughs>